Welcome to Health Cetera's podcast. Today, the world is facing a shortage of nurses. Nurses are a critical piece of functional healthcare systems everywhere, and an estimated 13 million more of them are required to meet healthcare need around the world. Of the organizations working to address the nursing shortage is the International Council of Nurses, otherwise known as the ICN, which is a long-standing organization representing the interests of nurses across the globe. The current president of the ICN is Dr. Pamela Cipriano, who is also the Dean of the School of Nursing at the University of Virginia. On this podcast, registered nurse Diana Mason hosts Dr. Pamela Cipriano for a discussion on the future of nursing for America and the world and how the ICN is working to shape it. This podcast first aired on Health Cetera in the Catskills on WIOX Radio on November 24th, 2021. COVID has taken a toll on the nursing workforce globally, but the profession is committed to promoting health equity and the health of people everywhere. The International Council of Nurses is a leader in this work, and I'm really pleased to have on Health Center in the Catskills today, Dr. Pamela Cipriano, who is the new president of the International Council of Nurses and is the dean at the School of Nursing at the University of Virginia. Pamela, thank you so much for joining me today, the day before Thanksgiving on Health Center in the Catskills. Thanks, Diana. I'm really pleased to be with you. And in many ways, it's it's fitting that it's just before Thanksgiving because I think the world <sighs> continues to give thanks to the nurses everywhere that have truly been lifesavers. Yes. And I, I just need to disclose for transparency purposes that I'm the program director for a global nursing leadership institute that it, it, the International Council of Nurses has. So, Pam, let's start off with talking, telling people what the International Council of Nurses is. Probably most people have never heard of it. What is it and what is your role as president? The International Council of Nurses, which we abbreviate as ICN, is a very old organization. It was actually founded in 1899, and it today consists of 138 associations from countries around the world, and that is, that, those are our members, so those, and they may be professional associations. For example, the American Nurses Association is the member from the USA. Uh, they may be regulators. They may be unions. They may be combined organizations, but it, it, it's combined, it's, uh, sorry, comprised of organizations that represent the interests of nurses within a specific country or, or area. Uh, and so uh, one of the interesting things, too, is one of the foremost nursing leaders in the United States was one of eight individuals that helped found the International Council of Nurses and actually led the first big meeting in 1901, and that was Lavinia Dock, and it was held in Buffalo, New York. So we are part of that rich history. As president, did you want to say something? Well, well, yeah, so I, I think, if I'm correct, that ICN is actually the oldest organized healthcare organization, continuously operating healthcare organization, as well as I think arose from the international, one of the oldest women's organizations. Do you know if that's right? You know, I don't know that specifically, but it really did 
come to be during a time that was early feminist movement, and it was really focused on equality and rights of women. And so that uh, is very fitting that, uh, again, we know that 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 very same time, a number of national nursing organizations were being formed. Uh, and so, the, you know, the years are, are sandwiched in between that 1899, 1900, 1901. Yeah, I, I meant oldest international. I'm sorry. The other thing is oh, that sorry. for people who may not know Lavinia Doc, she was an ardent nurse feminist. I mean, she was out in the streets as a suffragette. So, yeah. So, so tell us about your role as, as president. So as president, I certainly lead the board in terms of our business and governance, but I have the uh, amazing opportunity to be a spokesperson for the world's 28 million nurses. And that occurs at different times, whether it's in collaboration with the World Health Organization or the International Confederation of Nurse Midwives or the International Labor Organization or other non-governmental organizations that are focused on health care and health professions, uh, primarily uh, their headquartered in Geneva, but there are many opportunities to speak out and, and be that voice that advocates for nurses and nursing. So you come, you just stepped up to this after having served on the board, and so what do you see as now the priorities for these next few years when you will be president, when you are president? These next four years uh, will be a very challenging time as we continue to fight and emerge from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we already know is that the, the world is facing a shortage of nurses, not just a staffing shortage, as we see consistently across many countries and in, and in the U.S., but the projection is the world actually needs about 13 million more nurses. But our priorities have consistently been to represent nursing worldwide, advance the profession, promote the well-being and protection of nurses, and advocate for health in all policies. We think it's really important for our voice to be heard in, in the development of health policies, and we help our members do that within their own countries as well as globally. Uh, again, you know, particularly with groups like the World Health Organization that brings together interests from around the world to really look at how do we need to address uh, better delivery of health care through universal health coverage? How do, we, how do we reduce the number of premature and unnecessary deaths by preventing non-communicable diseases and those kinds of things? Uh, working particularly with lower income countries to make sure that they get resources that have not necessarily been available that, that prevent illness from, let's say, insect-borne diseases or the lack of clean water or climate change or those kinds of things. So um, you mentioned the workforce, and I, I want to stay on this a minute and see if – I'm not quite sure what ICN's position is on this, but there already is talk in this country about solving our nursing shortage by um, expanding the J-1 visas that bring nurses from other countries to practice here. And I, I personally uh, have concerns about that because I know that some of these countries that we're going to be taking nurses from have their own severe shortages. What is ICN's position on the issue of the migration of nurses from one country to another? I know it supports the freedom of migration, but I also know there's this, equi this issue of the ethics of some of the practices that go on. Yeah, Diana, you're right on target. Uh, this is this is a very challenging issue because, as you said, there are many countries whose nurses 
are wanting to leave to go to another nation where they will be able to earn more money because many of them who, who do migrate out of their country send money back to their relatives. Uh, some see it as an opportunity for uh, a better life. And so there will always be a segment of nurses in, in, in many countries around the world that will choose to leave their home country. But the problem is that uh, we, we want to be sure that if they're doing it on their own, that's fine, but we also want to make sure that there is ethical recruitment for migration. So the International Council of Nurses has been a leader along with the uh, Commission on Graduates of Foreign Nursing Schools and others who uh, looked at, had, at adhering to ethical migration policies. And so we, we don't support those groups who go in and, and actually actively individuals and uh, make profit from, from their ability to bring nurses to other countries. I also think it's, it's incredibly important for the wealthier countries who do want to hire nurses to come from other, other places to, to make a commitment to be sure that their environment supports the, the new culture that people are coming into because all too often individuals will, will come to a new place and they find that it, that it is very challenging or they find that they are not supported. They find that there is not a community that is welcoming to them. So there are many factors in terms of how do we make sure that if someone does make that choice that they have a, a positive experience. But the, but the bigger concern truly is how do we go back to the countries that are either exporting nurses intentionally or are seeing a drain of their talent and say to them, you have a responsibility to improve your educational system. We want you to improve the resources you're making available. We want you to improve salaries. We want you to increase the number of nursing positions, which is something that a lot of our, our U.S. nurses don't understand that in a country that has complete control of the healthcare system, they also control the, the number of, of uh, positions that can hire, be hired into as well as the, uh, the financial remuneration. So the, the other side of this coin is to get governments in these other countries that nurses are leaving to really step up. And that's the best way for them to support their own working uh, nursing workforce and be able to retain those nurses within their own countries. One of the things that ICN has ca called for over the last year was for countries to invest in nursing. And from a business standpoint, it makes sense. I I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and also um, is it getting any headway? Are the ministers of health and countries paying attention? I wish, I wish I could answer that second question first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think the, the theme of investing in nursing has uh, been part of our mantra and uh, backed by the World Health Organization for the last couple years, which again, the overlay of the pandemic has been very uh, difficult to overcome. But if we think back to 2020 being the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife, uh, we, one of the, the reports that was done for that year was the state of the world's nursing, where there was an attempt to get as accurate as possible workforce data, particularly the number of nurses in each country, a description of their level of education uh, and scope of practice and those kinds of things. And it was, it was apparent, it was readily apparent that again, not many countries really lack the, the workforce that they need. And so part of that was to say, we really need to, to work with countries. Part of that is uh, having a, a chief nurse appointed 
in each country. Only uh, you know less than half of, of countries around the world are supporting a chief nurse position, and so that that advocacy voice is absent. Yes. And when we think about some of the financial insults that that you know not just localities and healthcare delivery organizations, but governments have suffered in the pandemic, uh, they're finding it difficult even though we know the essential nature of nurses, to redirect or, or delegate uh, resources to improving nursing education programs and, and access to, to uh, better education, better working conditions. But that's really what, what does need to happen. And when we think about, uh, again, the, the issue of being very strategic for supporting the workforce, uh, the, the, the other report that I know you're very aware of is the Global mm -hmm. Strategic Directions for Nursing and Midwifery for 2021 to 2025. And very specifically there, again, talking about the investment that needs to happen, investment to increase the level of education, to be able to optimize uh, the production of nurses and, and, and midwives in some countries, making sure that faculty are appropriately uh, educated, looking at, at how we have uh, the ability to reinforce practices for this, you know, international recruitment that, it, that, is, that are ethical, being sure that we can also provide leadership training uh, for uh, all types of, of nurses to be able to support the expansion of advanced practice, which we know creates an amazing opportunity to deliver more uh, and, and broader specialty care in many of our countries. So while, while there are promising directions that have that are able to be shared, uh, it is the resources that are that as as well as some of the will political will that's lacking right now in some countries. And I, I want to point out that the global strategic directions for nursing and midwifery 2021-2025 is a World Health Organization document. It was approved by the World Health Assembly, uh, and I believe it was the first time that the World Health Assembly itself has approved uh, a strategic direction document for nursing and midwifery and ICN was was leading that charge so it, it's you're doing great work on that global stage uh, so Pam, speak a little bit about what is the relationship between ICN and the World Health Organization ICN has a, an official relationship with WHO which means that we are entitled to provide input uh, we have the ability at the World Health Assembly, which is the annual meeting of the WHO, to provide what are called interventions, which again are, are strategic statements and guidance and, and can weigh in on uh, the reports and the, and the recommendations that are coming from their work. We are often working hand-in-hand, hand, particularly with the, the workforce groups, the immunization groups. Uh, so whenever there is, a, there is a key topic that WHO is working on, we are typically invited to the table. We have had a great relationship with Elizabeth Iro, who is the chief nurse for the WHO, and we were instrumental in talking with the Director General uh, Tedros, who uh, is completing his first term and uh, is going to be running unopposed for an election to a second term. But he has been a very strong advocate of not just nursing, but involvement of the International Council of Nurses. So it, it has been, it's a very successful relationship. The other uh, place where we have interaction is every other year, we have what's called our triad meeting. And that's where the, the WHO leaders, the International Confederation of Midwives, 
and the chief nursing officers and chief regulators of countries from around the world come together and we really talk about what what does nursing need and how can nursing contribute to the WHO agenda and improvement of health and healthcare around the world. And so that becomes a very strategic meeting in terms of sharing among those groups and coming out with a specific set of recommendations that we share back to the World Health Assembly. I also want to give a little context to our listeners that the International Council of Nurses was a strong advocate for calling for the World Health Organization to have a chief nurse position. This is after there was almost no presence of nurses at the central level in WHO, despite the fact that most of the on-the-ground work, not most of it, but nurses played a key role in the on-the-ground work. And so this is sort of a typical scenario that we as nurses face, and that is we're there to deliver care, but when it comes to having a voice at the table to define what their care looks like and to say what the changes are that need to be made, our voices in the past have been absent. And I, I, I think we're saying that's no longer okay. And I think if you look at what has happened since uh, Secretary General of WHO uh, Tedros has has uh, taken his leadership position, what's happened under his term with the global strategic directions for nursing and midwifery, it really speaks to the kind of support uh, that we need if there's going to be a strong nursing workforce. And Pam, I want, I, want, I want to have you take a minute and just talk to our listeners about why should all this matter to them? Why should it matter that nurses are being using their voices at the global stage? What difference does it matter to people here in the Catskills of upstate New York? One of the things that I have repeatedly said because of my observations over the last four years uh, working with ICN is that we are more alike than we are different. We may not have the same healthcare system. We may not have the exact same educational system, but it is absolutely clear that nurses, uh, you know, we, we always say they're the backbone of the healthcare system. It is fundamental to the ability to have health and health care in any country uh, that we have a strong, robust nursing workforce. Mm -hmm. So when we have a problem in one part of the world, we have to figure out how can we help address that in another part of the world, such as through leadership development programs, such as helping uh, the, the leaders in a country speak to their health ministers or their secretaries of health and human services, as, uh, as our position is named. So it really does matter that the International Council of Nurses uh, does convene, you know, over 138 country groups in order to be able to advance the agenda for nursing. It, it, as we all know, there's strength in numbers. And, and as we think about these international issues for, you know, again, the pandemic is just so so central to, to the lessons that we've learned. Uh, one of the mantras right now is, you know, we're not safe until everyone is safe. Yes. So the United States really should care about the uh, issues in, in many countries. You know, I've mentioned climate change, which is in many respects under the radar for many Americans, but but not recognizing that it is affecting food supply, it is affecting uh, illnesses, particularly uh, those that are that are pulmonary in nature, you know, the exacerbation of asthma and allergic reactions. Uh, it's, it's moving people's towns away from coastlines that have been eroded. So, so we need to, we do need to care about those kinds of things. They, they will be on our doorstep 
that we should be carrying now, that health is really affected around the world. And similarly, we want to be able to have uh, the, uh, travel and be able to visit other countries, and we've seen that uh, the virus knows no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so we, we recognize that our lives truly are uh, inextricably linked to that of our uh, partners ar around the world. So the ICN really is a, is a voice to add strength and bring expertise from all countries together to help one another. And I, I hope that not only nurses, but that our public does recognize that a global force of nurses can be incredibly powerful, and, and that's what we are continuing to mobilize. Now, I, I'm talking with Dr. Pamela Cipriano, the new president of the International Council of Nurses and dean at the School of Nursing at the University of Virginia. Pamela, staying on WHO for a moment, the WHO has called for equitable, equitable distribution of COVID vaccines, and ICN did support this. Um, where are we at with that, and, and um, what, what can you tell us about nurses' role in the distribution of the vaccines? Yes, we have been a, a strong supporter of vaccine equity and early on certainly called for prioritization of vaccination for nurses and other healthcare workers. Uh, as everyone can relate, the initial fear of contracting the virus was uh, just astronomical and whether it was being worried about infecting yourself or pay or your families um, it really became uh, a very mobile uh, immobilizing force and created a lot of burnout and distress uh, in nurses and others so we were we were very influential in helping many countries recognize that they needed that prioritization as we have moved through uh, enormous vaccine production and and contribution of vaccine to other countries, we, we see there are, there are challenges. So right now we also know that um, you know, we, we've seen over 180,000 healthcare workers, many nurses who've died uh, from COVID, not only because they were unvaccinated, but early on because of lack of, of personal protective equipment. Now we understand that as of July, there were about 2.4 million healthcare workers across 38 countries that had one dose of, of vaccine. However, we do know that there are some nations and, and countries uh, like many in Africa that still have a very low penetration of those who are vaccinated, you know, under 5%. And so we do have uh, this terrible problem of, of real uh, inequity in the distribution. Part of it, though, uh, is that, that can't be solved you know, miles and miles away around the world is what do we, what, how can we address the refrigeration issues? How can we address the, the workers that have to get to remote areas? So that's where we need to be working together with governments and their public health systems and uh, organizations that have gone in to help in order to be able to increase the, the vaccination actual distribution. And, and it's a much slower process than anyone would like to see right now. As you know, uh, Dr. Ted Rose at WHO continues to be very vocal around the lack of equity and the risk that this, uh, again, produces for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and I also want to reinforce that um, nurses really have been leading efforts in many countries around the country's response to, to COVID. We have a uh, a, a woman who, a nurse who was, um, had been through our, the Global Nursing Leadership Institute uh, a number of years ago, and her name was Anshel Wallerle Kumbangsila. She is essentially the dean at the School of Nursing in Suriname, and she was called upon by the Minister of Health to lead the COVID response last year. 
um, and it was 24-7, you know, 12, 14-hour days every day. Uh, we also had a, a facilitator in last year's. We had to move the program online, and we had a facilitator whose husband died in, in the middle of the program. Uh, we had a number of scholars and facilitators who were sick with COVID. So nurses are feeling this on personal levels as well as on professional levels. And um, I think uh, the vast majority of nurses, the message would be get us the vaccine, get it in the arm, wear the mask, and stay safe. Um, because, I, I mean, my fear is that um, as this continues to spread, that there will be another variant that will be even stronger than the Delta variant, and maybe the vaccines won't be as powerful against them. So it's really in everybody's interest, I think, for um, people to get vaccinated. And, of course, you know, I have mixed feelings, Pam, about, about here I am. I, I've got my booster, and I know that I've got colleagues in Africa who still are waiting for the first vaccine. Um, it's, it's a little hard to reconcile. It is. It is. This is a, a really big moral dilemma. You know, we understand 5.7 billion doses have been administered globally, but only 2% of those have been administered in Africa, which, uh, again, is, is the continent most severely uh, compromised right now. And, again, I go back to the mantra that uh, none of us will be safe until all of us are safe. Yeah. And you're right. We, we don't know if there will be another serious uh, mutation and variation that threatens to, to shut down the world again. So we've only got a few minutes left, and, and you've been a chief nurse officer of a major health system. You're a dean. You're now the president of the International Council of Nurses. You've been president of the American Nurses Association. From the seat that you are in, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to, I, I, you know, I deal with gloom and doom periodically, you know, uh, over the state of world affairs and the politics of our country and COVID, et cetera. What gives you hope and, and um, what, what are you um, thankful for um, in this season? I am always amazed at how smart nurses are, <laughs> as I see particularly our students and I see the, the new entrants into the field who are very excited to do everything they can to not only provide the care that we, you know, that we educate them to, but I believe that, that we're seeing more and more eagerness to really address change in healthcare, to be unafraid to speak up, to say my voice really counts, and uh, be able to, to go into areas where you know, nurses can be creative, they can be innovative. So I am, I am uh, very optimistic that the nursing workforce that we are, are seeing continue to be not only steadfast in their service, but also, uh, again, wanting to be influential and, and stepping up is, is going to carry us into the future. I think the other thing that, that I'm, I'm thankful for is that we, we have seen a consistent dedication of nurses that have uh, weathered the fatigue, we, and we, which we know is extreme. And, and, you know, being very involved in the National Academy of Medicine's Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience, being able to recognize that there is a greater and greater understanding of the need to commit to well-being for our workforce. We have to take care of our caregivers. And I believe that not only have many of them already stepped up, been able to fight the stigma of saying, I know I need to ask for help, uh, mental health help or respite or whatever that is, uh, and be able to support one another. Peer support is absolutely essential, and that's really the model for making sure we're checking on our, our uh, 
friends and family and, and other caregivers to say, are you really okay and how can I help you? So I think as a collective health workforce, we have pulled together. Uh, we know nurses always show up. Nurses never say no, uh, but we want them to be able to, again, take that break if they need it. And at the same time, I believe uh, we will we will be able to show that the predictions of those who are who are worn out now will not really leave the workforce in in the, the numbers that are presenting a little bit of fear and concern uh, for the future. And we know that there's incredible interest, not only of new entrants to, to, that want to come into nursing, but again, I think a renewed spirit that uh, if we can get through this, we can get through anything together. And your enrollments at the School of Nur or applicants to the School of Nursing at the University of Virginia? They, are, they continue to be uh, very, very high. We uh, have the wonderful fortune of, of having way too many applicants that we can take. We know nationally there are over 80,000 applicants who can't get spots in uh, baccalaureate programs. We turn away uh, probably 18 or 19 students for everyone we can take. So we're part of the movement to try to create more capacity in our nursing education programs because we know that uh, there will always be uh, a greater need for nurses. And the dean at our local school, SUNY State University of New York at Delhi, um, Dr. Susan Dean, told me the same thing. Their application rate is up. They, it's a very robust application rate. So, well, uh, Dr. Pamela Cipriano, uh, president of the International Council of Nurses, thank you so much for coming on to Health Center and the Catskills today. This has been great. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Dana. You've been listening to a podcast of Health Center in the Catskills. For more podcasts and discussions of important health issues and policies affecting health, go to Health Cetera's website and blog at www.healthmediapolicy.com. That's www.healthmediapolicy.com. This podcast was produced by Diana Mason, Barbara Glickstein, and production assistant Kai Volsey.